Hello and welcome to this episode of The Planning Podcast with James Corbett Bircher, who's a barrister at Number 5 Chambers in the Planning and Environment Group. He's going to help us look ahead to plan making as envisaged in the Leveling Up Bill. What will be the timescales that we have to have in mind when we're making strategic decisions and what changes in content of local plans will really have an impact? Is the electoral cycle affecting the measures? And if you have a look on our website, you'll see some notes to go with this podcast. James, hello. Hi, good afternoon. Hello, good afternoon, Richard. Welcome. Now, I've seen this fantastic paper of yours, which covers some important aspects of the LERB, and I thought it would be great to have a chat, first of all, about some of the local plan-related aspects, uh, and to start off really with an introduction as to what the structure of the new development plan process is. Can you capture that in a nutshell for us? Yes, so in a nutshell, what's happening here is government streamlining and repackaging everything in a much more straightforward way, essentially addressing all the bugbears we have with the existing system. You know, quite a neat three-tier structure with much more explanation of how things will work on the face of the primary legislation and uh, a much clearer focus on timetables, precise content and uh, format and presentation. Thank you for that nutshell. Can we turn then to some of the content which the LERB tempts us to expect in the new uh, local plans? If you'd like to just start off by giving us some sort of indication as to what we can expect, which is different. Yes, a key provision to start off with, which unlocks all of this, is the local plan timetable. So it'll be an LPT, a new acronym we're going to be using. And this effectively is um, the document in which local local planning authority will be required to set out the timetable for the preparation of their local plan. And critically, it it has a provision, this is section 15b, it has a provision which says once they have put the local plan timetable into effect, the local planning authority must comply with it. So uh, this document, which will essentially be at the heart of local authorities' websites, sets out what the documents are that they're preparing. As we can see from that wording, uh, creates a much clearer structure that they will have to comply with, enforced, of course, by national policy. And that then leads us then into the centrepiece document, which will be the local plan, the very next provision. The whole process is basically much more straightforward, you're only allowed to have one local plan in place at a time. It's got to set up the amount, type and location timetable for development. And there are some substantive provisions as well which specify what that local plan must contain. So um, infrastructure requirements, requirements for affordable housing, design uh, and provisions to address the mitigation and adaptation to climate change. So what we're seeing in those two examples there is this much greater focus on specificity as to numbers and locations, a fuller recognition of some of the most important issues of our age, affordable housing, climate change, integration of design considerations. As summary, as I say at this stage, I think it's it's taking just about the right approach to providing enough detail, some flesh on the bone, whilst leaving the rest, obviously, for both national policy, 
but also obviously local discretion. Turning from local plan, and we'll come back to it shortly, but turning from local plan to the idea of the supplementary plan, help us with that. Yeah, so supplementary plan, probably its closest parallel in the current system is the error action plan. In essence, a supplementary plan is like a smaller version of the local plan for a site or sites, plural, but those sites must be nearby one another. And the requirements, what is actually allowed to be put within the supplementary plan, broadly mirror what's in the local plan. So they're to provide essentially further detail on objectives for particular characteristics of that site, infrastructure, affordable housing, design, uh, and so forth, but obviously focused on those individual sites. So one can envisage a situation where you've got the local plan and the detail, for example, in respect of affordable housing uh, percentages and the like set within the supplementary plan. And the key difference, just to note about the supplementary plan as it's the local plan, is that whilst the local plan will be subject to the same examination requirements as we currently have before an inspector with full examination hearings, the supplementary plan will have essentially a presumption that the hearings will be primarily written representations and that the person who examines that plan is not necessarily going to be an inspector but simply someone appointed by the local authority in a very similar manner as to neighbourhood plans currently. So I said I'd come back to the local plan. There is guidance referred to and provided for within the LERB. What are we expecting? Well, I think what we're expecting is a lot more emphasis on presentation through the planning data um, initiatives. So I think we're going to see a lot of standardisations to what this content will be so that it can be at a spatial level codified so it can be essentially presented at the national plan level. But I suspect we're also going to have quite a bit of emphasis on making the provision shorter, more streamlined, more easy to follow. So again, those can be put into the machine, so to speak, and uh, with easier answers provided essentially for the for the algorithm, the, the chat GPT-15 or whatever it is at that, that particular stage. There, substantively, there is one intriguing provision in, this is a section 15LB, whilst there's a general reference to guidance, the only specific reference which follows that is that a local authority will need to address housing needs that result from old age or disability. So for a long time, we've recognised in our situation in respect of old age, older, older persons housing, that there is obviously a need for greater specificity there. And we can expect, therefore, policy or guidance to specify the proportions of um, housing that needs to be provided uh, for that particular demographic. Okay. We've looked there at the provisions which allow for guidance to, to follow on, and we understand roughly where that is heading. We picked up also on the increasing move towards digitising planning, and you made the AI reference. What What's going on there in, a, in an overarching way? How is that which is planned for local plans fitting in with what's uh, expected to happen in planning more generally so far as digitization is concerned? I think fundamentally it's about that search for greater certainty and it, that obviously being driven by investment patterns. 
If one looks at the lab, it, it's not immediately clear on the face of it, but if you trace through the provisions, I think there's a recognition at the official level and perhaps at the ministerial level that there needs to be a much greater ability on the part of the industry to predict with certainty whether a given provision will come forward and the costs that will be attached to that. So if, if it's whether one looks in the planning data provisions, which look at standardising how plans will be presented and how applications will be submitted, or in the context of environmental outcome reports, and the, the greatest of metricization and some numerical targets, um, similar to what we see currently with BNG. But, but also if we look at these provisions, uh, we can see a much clearer expectation that there will be standardization from the center and as a consequence, therefore, at the local level, what I've described as a greater ability to predict, but also giving central government a greater ability to monitor what is going on at the local planning authority level. So if we think about housing land supply and monitoring reports, and the current position is incredibly archaic approach that we currently have, that everything is provided on an annual basis, and some of the data, frankly, can go missing in the process. Instead, I think that government's intention is that there will be real-time reporting on delivery as against local plan targets set out, of course, with local plan timetables that we've already discussed. And therefore, government will be able to tell instantly how different regions are performing and in due course to set national development management policies which can be more responsive, perhaps even regionally specific, to essentially um, take the brakes off or put the accelerator on in respect of individual authorities and their provision for housing. So that, that, that's what I can see. How far we're away from that, difficult to tell, because, of course, it, it then becomes intertwined with the problem that we currently have, that notwithstanding government's intentions in the lab to make the system more effective, it currently isn't currently delivering that through its MPPF in the rather haphazard way in which national policy is being presented. Hmm. Well, on the topic of national policy and the making of policies to be applied locally, it strikes me that ought to be the second topic that we should turn to. Um, and I think that we can perhaps make that into part two of our podcast. So we'll return to that interaction later via a different a different episode, I think. But I, I think it's probably a good time to to have a look at the timetable because listeners will be interested in how this is going to play out because listeners will be interested in improving certainty, improving the degree to which they can predict the outcome of any particular application, which is fundamentally about a plan-led system and fundamentally about having a plan in place. And that is something which, uh, in all of the examples that I'm working in at the moment, is is extremely uncertain, and uh, one never knows when the process is going to start, stop, uh, or pause. So you've already made the reference to a fixed timetable which must be adhered to. Do you think that this is really going to work? I think, yes, we are going to see local plan timetables come forward, which will be much more specific. And I do think that government is given many more powers under this system to require authorities to comply with them. If we think about the problems with the current MPPF, 
paragraph 14 as it was, now 11. And, and the problems of the, f- the first decade of litigation about the presumption was the absence of a really clear structure which required the development plan to be subordinated to national policy objectives. And we'll come on to this in, the, in the, our later presentation, but what we have now is essentially a much clearer provision which requires and enables government to say where you haven't met a particular timescale, a particular gateway or window, then national policy through the presumption will apply with full force, essentially to to put the older development plan to one side, or indeed to substantially reduce the weight to be accorded to that. So will it work? Well, the difficulty we have here is if we look at the timetable suggested in the recent MPPF consultation, we have one sensible proposal, which is that the system will go live in 2024. So that obviously gives authorities time to take into account the new NDMPs, the new policy. So the system goes live in 2024. And then we have a series of proposals there afterwards, which essentially are long grass-kicking exercises further and further into the distance, indeed into our lifetimes, um, late, far distance of our careers almost. <laughs> So, in effect, what is preserved is the right up until the 30th of June 2025, so two years from now, to submit an old-style local plan, sensible perhaps, obviously, in encouraging people to put these plans in place. What is not sensible, it seems to me, is the provision then which allows those plans to carry on up until the latter part of the 2020s, indeed the early 2030s, with a final cut-off for preparation of a new plan in 2031. So that's the problem we've got there in respect of keeping old plans under the old system, prepared on the old system going. It, it seems to me what should be in place instead is a much clearer cut-off date, right across the board for all authorities, but placing that within 2025 or 2026. And that obviously would then make sure that the whole industry gears up towards this. There could be some staggering of the examinations for these local plans. And and there could, uh, by necessity then, obviously be some um, careful ordering of how the system will be deployed. And I think that what we're going to probably see in practice is that some of the the older plans will try and roll on, but there will be a lot of indecision as to which system to go under which system to deploy the local plan under, a lot of complaint about lack of resources and the like, and as a consequence, further gridlock into the middle of the 2020s. So I've got some concerns about how it's going to work in practice, but I do think the bones of the system to work are definitely there, provided government shows enough political will. James, thank you so much for that. Super clear, super brilliant. We'll come next in our next edition to looking at national development management policies and look at how they might interact with what you just explained to us. But for the time being, thank you. Thank you, Richard. That was the planning podcast. Next, we turn to national policy in the context of management policies, which are going to be inserted de facto into development management decisions. Back with James Corbett Bircher. Who else could be better? Look forward 
to being with you then.